Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyal, your host, and I am hearing, as you might be hearing a distant echo, although maybe not so distant, echo of the coming Christmas season. But before that, of course, we have the preparatory season known as Advent in the Western Long of the Church. In many Eastern churches, it's called the Philip's Fast. These are penitential periods. They are periods of a certain looking forward, a kind of a certain joyful hope, at the same time, a penitential season. And we're not there yet, but we're getting there, and we have a few preparatory days before the preparatory season. <laughs> and that is some feast days in the Byzantine liturgical calendar of some saints and angels. The first one up is the Saint Michael, the archangel in all the heavenly angels. In the Byzantine church, we celebrate Saint Michael, the feast of Saint Michael, on November 8th. But we also include the other angels as well. That's why it's called the Feast of St. Michael the Archangel and all the incorporeal or heavenly powers. Michael is the principal one that's featured, but we also include the other angels as well. And we always have what's called a troparion and a kantakian. These are dogmatic hymns that are dedicated and describe, sort of salute and honor that particular feast day. The person, the being, such as an angel or Christ, or the Virgin Mary, or the saints, or an event in their life. Well, right now, it's going to be St. Michael the Archangel, and we sing this. O leaders of the heavenly armies, although we are always unworthy, we beseech you that with your prayers you may encircle us with the protection of the wings of your angelic glory. Watch over us as we bow low and earnestly cry out to you, deliver us from trouble, O princes of the heavenly armies. For those of you who are Latin, right, you may have noticed a little bit of a similarity between this prayer to St. Michael, although we do include the other angels as well, and your prayer to St. Michael, the Latin rite prayer, which I've always really appreciated. I really, really enjoy that prayer. I enjoy the riches of both lungs of the church, east and west. It's very fascinating for me. It's very, actually, it's a lot of fun. It's actually very inspiring. 
whenever I encounter and can experience the riches of the Latin Rite Church, the Western Church, as well, of course, as the riches of my own church, the Eastern Church, the Byzantine Catholic Church. But I've always really appreciated the prayer to St. Michael from the Latin Rite. It's got a lot of guts to it. And oftentimes, I like to hear my Latin Rite friends pray that prayer. Many do after each Mass, and that's, I think, a custom that is pretty ancient in the Latin Rite Church. For us, it is the prayer to St. Michael and all the heavenly armies. A couple other dogmatic hymns that we sing on that feast day of St. Michael is this, the cherubim and the many-eyed seraphim, the armies of ministering archangels, together with the virtues, thrones, and dominations, the angelic powers, the principalities implore you, O creator and God, that you do not reject the pleading of your sinful people, since you are a merciful God. Now, As always, these dogmatic hymns are rich in meaning. It's why we sing them. In the Eastern churches, when we sing our services, whether it's the divine office, you know, the Vespers, the Matins, or the Eucharistic liturgy, which we call the divine liturgy, we're always, in a sense, singing dogma. We're singing our theology. We're proclaiming what we believe, oftentimes in very poetic ways. And this one that I just read, the cherubim, the many-eyed seraphim, the armies of ministering angels and archangels, if you notice what that's doing, it's already teaching us something theologically. It's teaching us that there are different levels in heaven. There's actually a hierarchy in heaven, and some angels are actually higher than others. Now, we don't know exactly how that works in heaven. It's not like someone is more important than the other or jealous or whatever. It's just the hierarchy, the way the order is, even in heaven. And hierarchy on earth, and this is the value of these dogmatic hymns, because it takes what is in heaven on this high spiritually transcendent realm, but it connects the earthly realm with those principles. In other words, if there is hierarchy in heaven, then earth is a reflection of heaven on earth. So there's got to be hierarchy in heaven. And this is what is so important about hierarchy in the church and also at home. In other words, an order of what is the top, what is the next level, next level, etc., etc. And each one is equally valuable. It's not like there's a comparative dimension where, well, this one's more important. How come? I feel jealous. It's about each one contributing its own unique quality and character to the entire order of things. If you listen to music, there are some instruments, especially in a symphony orchestra, there are some instruments that are more subdued, sort of background or, or the accompanying pieces. And there are those that are more forward, more of the melody, the main pieces. And that's what makes the beauty. Or if you look at a starry sky at night, what makes it beautiful? What makes it beautiful is that some stars are bigger, closer, and brighter than others. And there's a whole variation. That's what makes it beautiful. If they were all the same color, they all the same brightness, it wouldn't be quite as beautiful. So this is how it is in heaven. This is how it is on earth. And this little dogmatic hymn brings that out to us to meditate on. And it also says this, that you do not reject the pleadings of your sinful people since you are a merciful God. So what we do with angels and also saints, and again, this little dogmatic hymn points it out, is that we rely on them for intercessor. We rely on them for intercession. This is called intercessory prayer. We And every prayer, every dogmatic hymn that we say to an angel or to a saint or to the Virgin Mary, we always end it with have mercy on us or pray for us or intercede for us. And again, this dogmatic hymn points that out. A lot of theological points all within a few phrases. 
in this dogmatic hymn. That's the value of these hymns. It's, it's part of the, the genius of the Eastern churches and our liturgy, this dogmatic hymnody. Yes, we use the Psalms, of course, and the verses from Scripture, as does the Latin rite. But we also have the addition of these dogmatic hymns, which draw us into a kind of a contemplation. It's almost like going on retreat every time you go to one of our services, especially the Vespers, the Matins, and the Divine Liturgy. Intercessory prayer is something we see in the Scripture. We see it in the Virgin Mary herself. She was the intercessor for us. Christ came through her. That means we can go through her to speak and appeal to Christ. In fact, as we do, it's something like in electronics, electricity, where you run a current of electricity through an amplifier. It makes the electricity stronger. It's the same current, it just makes it stronger. It's the same thing with our prayers, our intercessory prayers. We run our prayers through these holy people who we know are in heaven, such as the angels, the saints, and of course, above all, the mother of God. So it's sort of a back and forth movement between God and us. God came to us through an intercessor. He speaks to us through his church, which is an intercessor, and the saints who are intercessors. But we also speak back to God through them. This is not saying that we're praying instead to somebody else and not to God. We're praying to God, but with and through the intercessors that amplify our prayers. Think of this. Think of going to a court. You know, you had to go to court for some reason, and you have to defend yourself. Couldn't you just say to the judge or to the jury, I am innocent. I plead my case. I am owed justice. You could say that. You could look directly at the judge or directly at the jury and say that. But let's face it. If, for example, you're on trial, you're defending yourself against a wrongful accusation, how far do you think you'd get on your own by just saying, hey, I'm innocent? So what do we do? We get an intercessor, a lawyer, who can say the same thing, but in a much better way. Talk about amplifying our plea. That may be the only hope we have of getting justice is through the intercession of the lawyer who can say our plea better. So think of it that way. So the angels also are used extensively in the Eastern churches. They're always throughout the iconography. They're always surrounding Christ, surrounding the Virgin Mary. There's even an icon called the icon not made with human hands. It comes from a story about Christ and his facial imagery being put on a napkin. And that image is painted usually right above the altar in Byzantine churches. And that cloth with Christ's face on it is held up by two or four angels. Angels are our connecting links between God and ourselves, between heaven and earth. They're special connecting links by God's design. They're messengers. Remember how the messenger of Raphael appeared in the book of Tobit and to Joshua and St. Michael appeared as well? These angels appear, even in the Bible, as intercessors, as connecting links. In fact, sometimes, for example, in the three angels that visited Abraham in Genesis 18, Abraham says, I have been visited by God. Sometimes the angels were seen as so close to God as to almost as if in a sense that you have to understand the wording in the Hebrew, it's not exactly like English, but they basically aligned the appearance of angels as being the presence of God himself through those angels. So intercession through the angels and saints, 
big part of our spirituality, very big in the Eastern churches. When we come back, we'll talk more about the angels and saints as intercessors as we prepare for the coming of the preparatory period of Advent and the Phillips Fast. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Here is an update on the Fulton Sheen petition. We Catholics stand just inches from the goal line to have the saint we desperately need now, Venerable Fulton Sheen, publicly declared blessed. Yet new obstacles keep arising to delay this from happening. The Diocese of Peoria is now requiring the unanimous support of the U.S. bishops behind the beatification of Fulton Sheen before a new date is set for the ceremonial mass. This has never been necessary in the church's history. The Fulton Sheen Movement's petition drive to set a new date soon for Sheen's beatification mass now has 10,000 Catholics from around the world clamoring for this. We need this voice magnified by hundreds of thousands more Catholics. And you can help us do that. Take action. Go to FultonSheenMovement.com and sign the petition and share it everywhere because everyone agrees that we need Blessed Fulton Sheen now more than ever. Bye now and God love you. I'm Loretta Freilich of the Catholic Charismatic Renewal of Chicago and Pentecost Today, and you are listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. I am interceding on behalf of the Eastern churches and their riches. I'm interceding as we talk about intercessory prayer by the angels and the saints. I'm interceding for you on behalf of the Eastern churches, the riches of that. So I'm kind of like the, the go-between. At least that I'm, that's what I'm trying to do on this radio program. So we talked about the angels, which we're going to celebrate on November 8th in Eastern churches. Now, on November 12th, we have the priest martyr Josephat. Josephat was a 
monk who became a bishop in, back in the early, early 17th century. He was in the area we now know of Ukraine. It was kind of like near where Lithuania and Poland come together, that area. Those borders always changed, of course, through history. But he became a monk, and he was very dedicated to unity in the church. There was a lot of, lot of disharmony in the church at that time between the Orthodox churches and the Roman Catholic church. And as you know, right around that time, there was the reuniting of parts of the Orthodox churches with the Roman Catholic Church. There was a great schism between them in 1054 AD, and about 500 years later, parts of the Orthodox Church began to reunite with Rome, and those parts are what we know as the Eastern Catholic Churches, which is what I belong to, the Byzantine Rite in particular. Well, our friend here, bishop or priest martyr, they call him priest martyr Josephat, was very much a part of that movement. He was trying to get the Orthodox to reunite with Rome. And there was such animosity at that time that there was a great tension to the point of violence. And Josephat was actually killed by a mob of Orthodox Christians. Now, I don't know how Christian they really were, but they belonged to the Orthodox Church. And they refuted, they rebuffed this attempts at reuniting with Rome to the point where it actually got murderous. They killed Josephat and they beheaded him and they threw his body in the river. And sometime later, it came back up and they found his head and his body. And his head and body lay in state. They lay it now in a tomb, which you can see is visible, in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And he's dressed, his body's actually dressed in the full vestments of a Byzantine bishop, including the crown. So I always thought that was very fascinating, inspiring when I was a student in Rome to go and visit the grave of St. Josephat, because he was a symbol of what this radio show is about, unity in the church between East and West. And he, like many of my own family members in Eastern Europe under communism, Josephat, like those later people under communism, shed their blood out of faithfulness to this idea of unity with the Pope of Rome. So Josephat is a, a great symbol of that. And we sing for his troparian, you have become a brilliant light, a priest martyr Josephat. You gave up your life for your sheep like the good shepherd. You were slain by the lovers of heresy, and you have walked into the Holy of Holies to rest in the company of the angels, O long-suffering saint. We make this petition to you, beg Christ the Prince of Shepherds to save our souls and to number us among the sheep on his right hand. On his feast day, on the eve of his feast day, November 11th, my church was privileged to be asked by the Cathedral of St. Josephat, the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Cathedral in Chicago, a great magnificent cathedral in what's called the Ukrainian village area of Chicago. We were asked to come and to celebrate the evening Vesper service for this feast as the vigil for the Feast of St. Josephat. We share that together, the Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic Church, which is the church I belong to, the particular jurisdictions, so-called Ruthenian, and the Ukrainians. We're almost the same people, but there's just a little distinction historically. But anyway, we both honor St. Josephat because we both are in union with the Pope of Rome. We were part of the Orthodox churches after the schism of 1054, but we reunited with Rome. And people like St. Josephat, well, he's one of our heroes because he believed in union as we do, and was willing to shed his blood for that union. So another saint we got coming up, and here's another big one. He's a giant in the Eastern churches, and he's big in the Latinite church too because he's one of the great 
fathers of the church. In fact, his statue is there along with the three other statues behind the great altar at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and he is helping to hold up the chair of St. Peter, you know, the cathedra, the great chair. There's two fathers from the Western Church and two fathers from the Eastern Church that are holding up that chair of Peter in St. Peter's Basilica, and his name is St. John Chrysostom. St. John Chrysostom, he gets his name, Chrysostom, meaning golden mouth, because he was such a dynamic preacher. He was a father from the 4th century, that great, great time of the 4th century. Boy, what a time that was in the church. So many spiritual and theological giants came out of that era of the church. There were so many heresies that were fought, and the, the correct teaching of the church prevailed. It's a time when the Bible was actually put together in its final form. All the books that were flowing around that were, in a sense, considered or vying to be put into the canon of the scriptures as we know it today, that was happening in that century as well. So the fourth century was an incredible century in Christianity and in the history of the church, especially in the Eastern church with people like St. John Chrysostom. Now, Chrysostom being a great preacher, by great, I also mean he did something which we need a lot more of today. People are asking for it today. They need it today. But many priests and bishops are a little afraid, but they need to overcome that fear and be like John Chrysostom. And that thing that's needed is to tell it like it is, to preach the gospel with power, be able to make that gospel relevant to the people of today, to their experience, to be able to contrast the gospel with the false ideologies of our day, to name those false ideologies. And Chrysostom was good at that. In fact, he was so good, he would get into trouble because what would happen is when he was preaching from the great church there in Hagia Sophia, the empress would attend and she was at one time rather corrupt and he would actually point her out and call her out there right in his homilies. So guess what happened to him? He got exiled. He got exiled about five times. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't stop telling the truth at his homilies. He got exiled five times until finally he died from his last exile. But you know what? He's in the Hall of Fame. In other words, he's a saint in heaven, and he is remembered very much by the church. And in fact, he is one of the fathers of the church, a really, really, really esteemed position to be in. I mean, he didn't strive for it. He was humble, but we acknowledge him as a father of the church. Those who taught the faith in a very clear, profound, dramatic, powerful way and suffered for that. These are the fathers of the church. They're the ones that we like to read and to go back to whenever we're trying to make discernments about our faith about moral decisions, try to come up with ways to address moral issues that come up in different ways in our modern times. Things that are influenced even by science, such as in vitro fertilization, things like that. Considerations and questions, nuances that we didn't have before because we didn't have these capabilities before so-called test tube babies and so on. What is the morality of these things? Where do we go for them? We always go back, of course, to Scripture, the history of the church's teaching, you know, papal documents and so on, but also and always to the fathers of the church. And St. John Chrysostom is one of those great fathers in his preaching, but also his mastery, his clarity of church teaching. He was very, very erudite, very, very rhetorical, very flowery, very, very high level in the way that he spoke and with great power and, and drama and truth. And again, the dogmatic hymns for his feast day, which is November 13th, 
say things like this. O Christus in the church sings to you, rejoice in Christ your bridegroom. For by your virtues and your words, you have enlightened the world more than the rays of the sun. Rejoice, O wisest of men, greater than all other orators. Rejoice, defender of the true faith. You are the one who uncovered falseness, O teacher of penance. Rejoice, quiet depth of knowledge, who like the great Paul followed Christ completely. Now ask Christ to send great mercy to our souls. I'm very proud to say that I grew up with a long lineage of my family, on both sides of my family, of Byzantine Catholic priests, many of whom were married. And my mother tells me of the story of her grandfather, who would have been my great-grandfather. He was a Byzantine Catholic priest. His name was Father Vladimir Mihalich. And my mother always tells me, and she always tells a story over and over again. She's 92 years old, so maybe she forgets that she tells me. But she tells me this story ever since I was a boy. She would say to me, you know, Tom, your great-grandfather, he was called the Golden Mouth, like Chrysostom, because he preached so beautifully. So I have a bit of a Chrysostom in my own family heritage, which I'm very proud to say. Now, Chrysostom is also credited with writing the Eucharistic prayer, what we call in the Eastern churches, the anaphora, which means offering, the offering prayer. That's the heart of the Eucharistic part of the liturgy, as you probably know. He was credited with writing that, and actually what he did was he took the anaphora, Eucharistic prayer of St. Basil the Great, another great father of the church from that same century, who he himself took from the liturgy, the ancient liturgy of St. James. And what he did was he, he made it a little bit shorter. Even though many people think that our liturgy is long, it was actually made even shorter by John Chrysostom. But nonetheless, beautiful and profound in its poetry, in its theology, the anaphora of St. John Chrysostom. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!